This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Good morning. Welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway, and as always, I thank you for your time this Sunday morning. If you are doing anything related to reading, watching, listening to stories about the media and the world, the concept of AI has not been uh, something you could avoid. It's been taking up a lot of our time and a lot of our discussions and, frankly, a lot of concern from a lot of folks as we approach a new election year coming up, a presidential election. And uh, members of the media and of the literary community and the artistic community and the political community all wrestling with how to use artificial intelligence. Our guest today on Campus Voices is my colleague in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications, Matt Waite, teaches courses in our journalism sequence and our sports media and communication sequence, but also has been pioneering a number of courses for us in his time here, one of which this semester has dealt with this emerging topic of artificial intelligence, and he joins us today to talk a little bit about that. Matt, thanks. Welcome to the show. Always my pleasure. This has been a topic that we've been kicking around in the college for quite some time, but I know it's uh, become sort of a darling of the uh, international community to both be excited about and be scared to death about. Uh, but it's not a new concept, and so I wanted to have you tell us a little bit about where did AI come from and how did it not just emerge last week? Sure. Um, honestly, this idea of thinking computers has been around for a very long time. Um, the Some of the most famous things that people remember is the, the Turing test by Alan Turing, who uh, was one of the early computer scientists who helped break the Enigma code. And, and a lot of people have seen the movie. Uh, but he created a test that was if you could have a conversation with a computer and not know that you were having a conversation with a computer, then that computer was then what's called Turing compliant. Uh, it, it passed the Turing test. So we've been talking about thinking machines for 50, 60 years now. Um, along the way... There has been all of these different tools and algorithms and ideas that have come along that four years ago were theoretical. So the idea of um, neural networks, computers that try to mimic the structure of the brain and the way that they learn. So learning machines, neural networks, the idea of them came out in the late 1960s. Um, but they were theoretical. It was like, well, maybe a com computer can work this way. Um, the idea of reinforcement learning of computers sort of getting a feedback loop where they would learn more and more and more as they went along. These ideas have been around for decades. What's changed, what's really happened is the amount of computing that we can throw at something has reached the level that these things are no longer theoretical. These theoretical ideas, well, if someday we could process you know, trillions of words and billions of, of, of sentence fragments and, and, and these ideas, you know, someday maybe that'll be possible. Well, it is. Uh, the idea of cloud computing and large-scale computing has made all of this happen. So things that we've gotten used to over the years um, that we've thought of as just like, oh, that's, that's kind of neat or, oh, that's just useful – um, we're mostly machine learning in the background. Um, spam filters uh, in your email is just a machine learning algorithm. Um, Recommendations in your Spotify playlist. Yeah, uh, the the whole of things like that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the customers who bought this also bought this, or you might like this whenever you're shopping. They're just machine learning algorithms. They're making educated guesses that, statistically speaking, person who bought item X and has this profile is probably likely interested in these things. And these are the things that we'll put out in front of them. So all these ideas have been around, all these ideas have been around for a while. The thing that has changed is the amount of scale that we can throw out of the amount of computing that we can throw at it has had a quantum leap forward. And the, the sort of weird thing that I don't think people really get is that video games actually have something to do with this. Um, the great leap forward uh, was that people realized that, you know, these video cards that we're using for all these video games, they can process a truly breathtaking amount of data in a minute amount of time. 
what if instead of you know a first person shooter game we pointed them at computationally difficult things and the people who really figured this out at scale were the crypto people uh crypto miners went nuts for buying video cards um and then when the crypto markets kind of fell apart it was the ai people that are like yep that's what we need we'll take that and here we are you now have the ability to throw literally thousands of um of graphics cards at a problem and store enough data where you can you can get into the you know billions and trillions of pieces of data and you combine them together with these algorithms that have been around for a long time and suddenly you get generative ai so generative is the new issue, uh, or is one of the new issues, which essentially takes it to the next level of saying, not, or, not only are we going to just scrape what's out there and say, if you like this, you might like this, but at least it appears to give the impression of actually creating something that was not there before. Is that an accurate assessment, though, or is it still scraping and molding and putting stuff together? It's kind of hard to say. Um, there is, there's a philosophical question to be had here about sentience and consciousness and things like that. As we are, as you are, and I am the, the sum total of our life experiences and our voice, when we create things, when we write, when we talk, when we sing, when we dance, we are an amalgamation of all the things that we have seen before. Um, that's a that's a pretty good analogy for what generative AI is. Um, it's trained on a massive corpus of writing. And because it's so large, you can go to it and say, okay, I want you to write me a poem, but I want you to, and, and this is going to be something like a really weird specific example, but I want you to write in the style of Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. And it will absolutely do that. Now, the reason that's a weirdly specific thing is I had a student yesterday who created a, uh, basically like a book recommendation bot and where her favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. So it was Mr. Darcy speaking to you. <laughs> and it was this very flourishy, you know, 18th, you know, 1800s era English style. And it was, it was hilarious, but. The Colin Firth or Matthew McFadden? Yeah, say, <laughs> take your, take your pick, whichever one you like better. Um, but it can mimic styles like that. It can, uh, if you ask it to just write a business letter, you could almost say that it's like taking the language of a business letter and averaging out all of the writers that it has ingested and creating that sort of average business letter. And that's both sort of the exciting and the scary thing is it can do that. It can write you a business letter that is probably pretty good for the purpose. Is it, the greatest business letter ever written? Is it going to win the, you know, are you going to land in the business letter hall of fame off of it? No, absolutely not. Um, is it going to have a style and a voice that's unique to it that, uh, gets attention? No, but there's an awful lot of writing that goes on that doesn't need that. It just needs to be done. Um, so that's the, the, the generative part of this is, is, is to sort of think about it. It's taking, it's taking thousands and thousands of writers or in the, in the, in the sense of the generative image generators, it's taking, you know, thousands and thousands of artists and just sort of averaging them together and giving you something out of that. It's not going to create something unique. It's not going to create something new. You can ask you to write poetry all day long. It's not going to come up with E.E. E. Cummings just out of the blue. Like, Oh, you know what? We're just going to ignore punctuation and capitalization and grammar and we're going to do something really you know weird you know we're not, it's not going to write jabberwocky um because a who would <laughs> like it's just that kind of creativity uh is just not part of it it is it is the average writer so it's going to be the average poet it's going to be the average artist it's going to be the average writer it's going to be the average whatever it is you want it to be and you know sometimes you just need average um, but anybody who really puts effort into their craft, I don't know if I would necessarily get really, really concerned about it. 
I can recall a conversation not that long ago that you and I had standing in the hallway just down the hall from where we are now in front of my office about how there were programs that were being put in place in newspapers to create the daily stock market report mm-hmm. or the ag report because it was essentially the same thing every day yep. that now freed up some poor reporter who had to sit there and crank all that stuff into what was already a template, I imagine. Pretty much. And now you had a machine doing that, which freed up said reporter to go out and cover something far more unique and interesting. The example that I can give you that I remember clearly is the Associated Press used to employ four people whose job it was to write quarterly earnings report stories. And those four people, every earnings report season could crank out about 500 or so of the biggest, most high profile publicly traded companies. And this was their job. They just, this is what they did. Um, the AP made a computer, basically a, a programming template that just ingested the data from the securities and exchange commission, um, and wrote a very templated story but because it's a computer doing it and it can do it in seconds, instead of just writing 500 of them, they would write stories about all 5,000 publicly traded companies and they could do it in seconds. Three of the folks who did that at the AP found other jobs at the Associated Press to, to do. And one of them retired on the spot and just said, nope, this is what I, this is what I do and I'm done and goodbye. So... Yeah, there there are certain things that news media do that don't require, you know, really f- thought out art. Um, there's only so many ways that you can say the stock market is up, the stock market is down. Um, there's only so many ways you can say, you know, what corn futures did today. Um, so why are we having a human do that when a computer can do it just fine? And for the audience that wants it, there it is. Um and, the, and particularly for a day and age of, of diminished staff sizes oh, yeah. in those organizations, that makes even more sense, right? That's really been the area that I've been sort of focusing on is, you know, let's stop with, with the doom and gloom. Um, the, the product that these things are creating is pretty banal. Um, and and some, of the, uh, some of the examples that have come out that have been semi-controversial of news organizations trying to just slip AI-driven stories uh, without telling people about it. They've been bad. They've been just bad. Uh, Gannett got busted in August for AI-generated high school football stories that were just awful. That if a human had actually read them, they'd have been like, mm, no, 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 no. We're not going to publish this. Um, Sports Illustrated just got caught uh, just this last week um, creating these uh, they're, they're, it's just a search engine play where they had like a, here's the guide to buying volleyballs or uh, here's camping gear you should have when you go out to in the woods. And, and they were bad. They were just bad. Um, that's the sort of level we're at. So I'm not really worried about that. What I am interested in is exactly what you're talking about. We have fewer people in newsrooms. We have fewer people reporting the news. So those people who still are employed, they need to be as maximally efficient as possible. Is there a way to leverage AI to help them to be more efficient? Um, in the class that I've, I've been teaching this semester um, in using AI for journalism and other, and other communication staffs, that's been a lot of what we focused on where we actually talked to community newspapers throughout the state. And we're talking about places that have like three employees total. A few of them had one, one person and they cover, uh, you know, an entire County. Uh, they may have four or five communities that they cover. And we asked them like, what would you do if you had more staff? And a lot of them said, well, I'd cover the next school board over. I'd cover the next County over or, you know, some, some neighboring government that if, you know, because the main government that they have to cover the, you know, the town that has the name in their paper meets on the same night as the next town over, they can't physically be in two places at one point. Well, what if AI could, you know, listen to the audio feed of the city council meeting and give you a summary of what went on? What if you could, you know, ingest the meeting minutes and, and do things like that and, have some coverage of that community, um, you know, have the human read over it, have a human edit it and, and figure out what is important and what isn't maybe, you know, call the 
city clerk or the mayor or something like that and talk to them real quick about what went on. But you could be more efficient that way. You could you could double your capacity almost um, by letting AI be the thing in the other in the other community while you're there. There are AI systems that you can train to identify individual voices. So if you knew the voices of your of your town council people, AI could start identifying them based on their voice, and now you have a pretty good summary of what's going on. Um, you just have to set it up. That's fascinating. And one of the angles that you made a point of noting to us on our in our in a faculty meeting a few months ago is that uh, when a, because AI is dealing only with what's already out there, yep. there are times that there are limits to what's available and when it runs into a wall it just makes stuff up yep. and sometimes in spectacularly wrong fashion yes um the the term of art in the ai world is they call it hallucinating uh these ai systems will hallucinate um one of the there there's a discussion in the ai world about how you don't really want to eliminate hallucinations entirely because if you do then you're limiting the creative capacity of of the ai you want them to hallucinate a little um but the example that i pulled out in a faculty meeting was i actually asked chat gpt to write my obituary um if you're a person who has has lived on the internet and done a lot on the internet and there's enough information about about you ChatGPT at one point would do that. I think they have clamped down on that uh, since then, but it did try that for me. But it invented degrees I didn't have. Uh, it invented jobs that I never had. Um, it, it got some things right, like it knew that I was married and had two kids. Um, it clearly had indexed my bio on on the College of Journalism's website. Um, but it also said like I got I got a master's and a PhD from Minnesota. I've been to the Minnesota campus, like I've never gotten a degree from there. Um, it, it said that I worked at the Omaha World Herald. It, it said I joined the faculty the year that I actually graduated from undergrad from here. And it, it, like it had factual information, but in the wrong way. And it just kind of remixed it and, and it just hallucinated a whole life for me. And I was like, yeah, it wouldn't have actually been so bad had I actually <laughs> been true, but it wasn't. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot less of that now on the major, on major AIs, but yeah, that's still a, a, a significant problem. And it's kind of fun to show students that where it will just make up a source or make up a citation and be like, yeah, here's how we're going to catch you cheating. Like, we'll actually go and look and see if the, you know, the journal for electronic commerce actually exists. And when it doesn't, you and I are going to have a really free and frank discussion about your continuation in the class. Well, and that that brings up one of the points that I think originally got us into this discussion because AI obviously affects the the content creation industries that we support, but we're also teachers. Mm -hmm. And I know that the uh, academic community was quite concerned several months ago about what this meant in terms of uh, assigning uh, long-form papers, research papers. What have we learned since that time about how to adjust the way we teach? And, And basically, it made us clean up our act a little bit too and get a little more creative yeah that's and that's just it um academia is a big old battleship that's going to take a little while to turn uh you know the uss missouri didn't turn on a dime so we have a few more semesters of this ahead where um there are certain kinds of assessment that you just can't do anymore and the one that I used uh, that is dead forever uh, was I had short answer essay questions on a timed test once where it was like, you have to write 200 words in 30 minutes about this topic that you should know go. And at the time I was offering, you know, sort of open note tests. um, And I put that question into AI and got a flawless answer out of it and was like, okay, that's net. We're never doing that again. That's just not a thing. In terms of like long form essays, I have joked with students that like, if y'all keep messing around and trying to cheat your way through this, we're going to go back to an age where it's like, here is some loose leaf notebook paper. Here's a pencil. Start writing. Crack those blue books open. Absolutely. (laughs) Like there's a whole generation of students that are going to learn real quick of what a blue book is. Um, And frankly, it's a valid form of assessment. And, and if you really can't determine legitimacy, what options do you have? 
this semester I've taken to using um, like uh, change logs in Word document file or in Word processing document files. There's different ways in different Word or Word processors that you can get a sort of minute by minute list of changes and try to go back into a version. It's a version history. Um, and you can actually just sort of watch students. If you just sort of click through the versions, you can see them actually writing. And that's what I'm looking for. Like, I, I want to know that you, you at least on the surface did an authentic job of trying to write this and, and do it yourself. It's fairly easy to spot when you've got a paper that is got you know, spelling errors and, and punctuation mistakes and, and some sentences that just don't make a whole lot of sense because they're just not well written. Part, part of me is like, hooray, I now absolutely know that this was you and this is your authentic voice. And now we have a place that we can start intellectually to get better and, and build off of this. Um, when I get the, you know, grammatically flawless five-page paper that appeared in two minutes in a document uh, okay now we've got a now we've got a problem uh and there is no way that i can say that this is authentic um we're learning we're learning as we go along there are certain assessments that are just never going to happen again there are certain things that we're probably going to have to change there are certain classes that i don't think um, some of our colleagues from around campus realize how good these AIs can be at doing the thing that they're asking students to do. Um, so it's, we've got some more learning and, and, you know, I won't call it an arms race, but there is a little bit of a give and a take of, you know, students are going to do exactly what they can get away with and faculty have got to learn exactly what that is. Um, and you just kind of adjust as you go along. Um, I've had conversations in my classes where I'm like, okay, the world now is the world that you knew plus AI that will never go back to not being not the world plus AI. I am imagining this exact same conversation happened in a, you know, an English composition class in the early 1980s when it was like, okay, the world is now, English composition plus word perfect plus Microsoft word. The, the advent of the word processor resulted in changes that had to happen to writing classes and composition classes. And the world kept turning. We kept on writing. Uh, there was a, a moral panic that happened around the pocket calculator and math teachers banned calculators from classrooms for decades. Um, and you know what? We're still doing math. It's still okay. Now we have much more complicated calculators that can do all kinds of different stuff. Um, On our phones, probably. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, there's a lot of math courses won't even allow phones right. as a calculator. You have to, have to go buy, you know, still have to buy that Texas instrument TI 80, whatever that, you know, a lot of us have had in the eighties and nineties, still same thing. Like Texas instruments figure something out there that they're making money hand over fist still on those things. Um, you know, phones are not even allowed, even though they'd be much, much better at processing this information. We figured out how to how to continue to do math education after the advent of the calculator. We're going to figure out how to do it with all of this. Is it is it more complicated than a pocket calculator? Yeah, it absolutely is. Is it the same idea? Yeah, it's just certain kinds of assessment you can't do. You 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 might have gotten real. Uh, the expression I use: you're all fat and happy off of doing that, um, and now you can't. You got to change things. And for me, I think it's really good. It's good for me to have a conversation with students. It's like okay. I'm asking you to do something intellectually difficult. I get that you have four other classes of intellectually difficult things. Let me show you how to use AI to make you more efficient to do this thing. AI can help you explain things. I'm going to give it my best shot at explaining it to you. I'm not going to get through to everybody. Somebody's going to miss it. Somebody's going to get an alert on their phone and tune out for a second and miss a major thing that they should have caught. Ask AI. Ask AI to explain this thing to you. Ask AI to explain it to you like you're 15 years old or 10 years old. Um, one of the most fun things you can do is ask AI to explain something to you like you're in grade school. 
and it will do it. Like you can ask it like insane things. Like explain, uh, you know, explain the Upanishads uh, to a five-year-old, and and it will do it. It'll give it a shot. It's like okay, we're all one big energy, and it's like just check the sources. Yeah, I say, yeah well, exactly. But students can use AI to yep. be better students. They can use it to be more efficient, and um, they should. They really should. And I think if you have that sort of honest conversation with students, it's like, okay, here's how to use AI to be a better student. And here's the line where you go past this here, you've cheated and you're done. And you'll get kicked out of here the same way that your parents who plagiarized stuff, uh, you know, they would have gotten kicked out of here. Or your grandparents who were looking off of somebody else's paper, they would have gotten kicked out of here. It's the same stuff. It's just the level of sophistication has gone up. You and I have both taught over the course of our careers here the uh, the introductory course to our college, literally Journalism 101. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you've talked about this. I know I did as well when I taught it, that um, every innovation like this scares the pants off whatever came before it. <laughs> going back to, you know, the printing press, going back to probably the cave paintings. Yep. Um, I could recall when printed sheet music first came out that live musicians were scared they weren't going to have a job anymore. Yep. And then... Radio came along, and then you know newspapers came along. Radio came along, scared newspapers. Television came along and scared radio. The internet came along and scared everybody. Uh, VHS, cassettes, uh, CDs, everything is always that's the end of what came before it. Well, Napster killed music before Spotify did. Right, and Spotify and is killing music now. We and, just learn to adapt. We move yeah. along to other things, and so the people in our college might say, well. Uh, we're not worried about cheating here because we do all these production projects that uh, use audio and video, and there's there's no way to create that artificially. Well, you proved that wrong well, I have this bad semester. News for you. <laughs> uh, with uh, with yours truly as one of the examples, tell us what you did. Uh, your voice is unique around here. Um, and and I've joked with you before that since I was an undergrad here in the 90s, I remember you doing the voice of the enrollment system at the university. And there's a whole generation of, of graduates of this institution who hear your voice and instantly know it. There are people who have been listening to radio here in Lincoln who will recognize your voice instantly from, from your radio days, from your voiceover work. So you have a very, very unique voice. I was reading about AI that could clone somebody's voice instantly and then you could make them say whatever you wanted to and you suddenly had that voice as yours to command. Um, And so with your permission, and I greatly, greatly appreciate you being a good sport about this, uh, I went and and bought an account on an AI system that will clone a voice and it cost me $1 for the first month and it said I needed about a minute and a half of your voice. And so without telling you, I went and found episodes of Campus Voices and I pulled the introduction off of them and I fed it into this. And it literally took me longer to find and edit that audio than it did for the AI to clone your voice to where you now speak 29 different languages. I have, I have played you your own voice speaking Japanese. Um, we have a student here, we have a student in common who is from the Czech Republic, and he gave me a script for you to read in Czech, and he, he freaked out. He's like, oh my God, that's, that's Rick speaking fluent Czech with a very slight American accent. And I'm like, well, I would expect Rick to have a slight American <laughs> accent speaking Czech. Um, and I've had, I had a student who is Korean, asked me the same thing, it was just blown away. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I took you to a faculty meeting with my laptop and told everybody to sit down and shut up, and, which you would never, ever in your life do. Not in public. Well, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, maybe your kids one day, there way back go, when, right, but right. Uh, your faculty colleagues, you would, you would not do that. Um, but yeah, it, it took... 15 total minutes maybe to completely cone your voice and it would take me about another 30 minutes to connect that to another generative ai where i could have you on the radio 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year you never got a break 
Well, and in fact, there are stations that are now playing with this. Uh, I shared with you a, a piece from the NBC Nightly News from a while back that a uh, station in Portland has an announcer on named Ashley Middays, who, with her consent, is also AI Ashley, and to the station's credit, build that way. They're yeah. not attempting to fool anybody. And she does the overnights and has said, or her clone does the overnights, and she has said, I'm excited about this because this allows me to expand my brand and let me do different things. I, I, I get part of that. On the other yeah. hand, if you've been following the SAG and After Strike and all the concerns they have about gaming and everything else, cloning voices, there's an air of concern there. I would be, I would have the world's best contract attorneys look that one over. I would have multiple ironclad contracts that that thing got deleted the moment I said it had to go. Uh, I would be very concerned about that. And that's that's the major concern of the SAG-AFTRA strike and, and some of the Writers Guild stuff, too, that was going on before that, where um, the Writers Guild was concerned about, you know, AI just generating a sitcom. Um, and, you know, that sounds kind of silly. It's like, oh, well, you know, how good can an AI-generated sitcom be? Well, the, the issue is not can the AI generate a sitcom. It's that AI can generate thousands of sitcoms and then it can use its own algorithms to figure out which ones might work and go through this process of, you know, that, that humans, the very flawed humans go through to find hits. Well, if you can generate a billion different versions of, uh, you know, a group of very attractive young people uh, live in New York and hang out in a coffee shop, how long before you come up with friends? Um, the... SAG-AFTRA folks were, one of the things they were upset about was studios that wanted to scan people's faces and then use their likeness as computer-generated extras in perpetuity. You got a hundred bucks to have your face scanned and then they could use it for the rest of time. Uh, if you're if you're making a living on being an extra, if you're making a living off of, of being you know a human in the background, and there are people that do, that should be terrifying to you. Um, if you make a living off of your voice, uh, I would be extremely reluctant to let my voice be cloned and used by a company in a way that I didn't have immediate irrevocable rights to just terminate it on the spot. Um, that there wasn't some you know, regular reversion of rights back to you where like, yeah, they got it for, uh, you know, X number of projects over Y amount of time. And when that was done, your voice reverted back to your own ownership. Um, you know, we have a colleague who voices, uh, audiobooks, mm -hmm. uh, and teaches classes on how to do that and has students doing that and, and does work in that. Another area where, you know, not every book is going to be big and, and, and well-known enough and have enough of a budget to have a human being actually voice it over. Well, it wouldn't take much at all. I, I would have to upgrade to the premium version of the, of the AI software that I use to clone your voice to do the exact same thing. And I've thought about doing my own voice and I'm like, what can I, you know, what could I do to like create other products for my classes that it's like, here's a, here's a podcast of this material, uh, where I have it already written. Could I create like an AI voice and voice it over and the students could listen to it like when they're on the jogging track or something like that. It's the contractual issues that I think are the really scary part there. Um, it's a, it's, I can only imagine what you felt hearing your own voice saying things you never said before generated off of a campus voices episode you filmed over zoom. And, um, the other two that I used, I, I legitimately couldn't figure out how to get an MP3 file off of, uh, off of the, the podcasting platform that you use. So I just pulled my phone out and held it up to the speaker in my office so if you wondered why you sounded a little tinny, that's why. You shazammed it. Yeah, basically <laughs> that. So I put the absolute minimum amount of effort into cloning you, and I created something when we pulled, we pulled about 200 people in and around this building, 60% of them who had heard your voice, 65% of them had heard your voice before, 
and we got a uh, we got a 60-40 split where people said the AI version was the real you. They got it wrong. And these are people who'd heard you talk before. These are people that see you walk by in the hallways, and they got it wrong. Um, that's terrifying in a sense. Uh, you start to wonder about, you know, are we going to enter an era where you just don't know if the person talking is a real person or if it's, you know, <laughs> I'm going to expose my age here, but, you know, is it live or is it Memorex? And, right. and, you know, you just don't know. Well, and there are so many venues where you need to know. I mean, our business is bad enough, but or serious enough. But when you think about, I was on jury duty this summer, and during uh, breaks in the case, another member of the jury who was one of our alums, he and I would talk about technological changes. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that came to mind was, how will this process make more difficult the process of submitting and evaluating evidence in a jury trial. Oh, sure. Because we had spent that whole morning looking at photographs and video evidence of an alleged assault, and some of the work was not particularly, it was cell phone camera footage and things along that line. And we both said, how easily could you just, I mean, even with Photoshop and the existing techniques, much less what what generative AI could cook up. You give me, uh, you know, you give me a recording, a couple of recordings of like uh, people wearing a wire in a in a criminal case, and I can turn that into something that they'll say anything. Right. Like they'll 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 confessing to be the second gunman on the grassy knoll. Um, yeah. Ooh. I don't, I don't know if I really want to think about, you know, defense attorneys just launching a, a defense. It's like, how do you know this is real? Right. Uh, you know. Well, there's, than, there's concern about the upcoming presidential election in 2024 about will we see a whole barrage of uh, largely fictional claims being made by the opposing candidates. We just talked about this in in that 101 class. Uh, we were talking about, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about partisan media and fake news and, uh, and how these are all basically exploiting cognitive biases in people's heads that we all have. Um, and that's why, you know, they remain pretty popular and why people click on fake news and, and you know, these completely farcical headlines, but it's confirmation bias. They, they just want to believe it. Um, you're already seeing this a little bit. Um, there's been a couple of campaigns that have gotten, uh, roundly criticized for using AI generated images. The, the most, uh, high profile one that I can think of is the DeSantis campaign was criticized because they had a commercial that had all these images of Donald Trump hugging and palling up with, uh, um, anti Fauci. Um, and you know, we're, we're criticizing Donald Trump for not firing Anthony Fauci when he had the chance. Um, and these images of them hugging and, and palling around, like they never happened. They were completely made up and, and people rightly criticize the DeSantis campaign for that commercial still on Twitter. You can still go find it. Um, they never took it down. Um, they stopped, you know, actively promoting it, but right. You're going to see a lot of that. Uh, you're, you, there's no doubt about it. We're in, we're in a very significant lull right now where um, the Iowa caucuses are coming up. You'll start to get into caucus season here in the in the January, February, March. Um, the the candidates are pretty well known, at least according to the polling. Um, the caucuses will go on and settle that. And frankly, most Americans aren't paying any attention at all. There's ample evidence that they're not paying attention until at least Labor Day. Um, That's the key. Yep. And, and yeah, if you care about elections and you care about electoral democracy and you want to be informed, you better be ready because this is, this is going to come in an absolute avalanche. Um, There's going to be very realistic looking video of whatever candidate you support saying things that they never said, um, good or bad. Um, there's going to be audio recordings of the candidate that you don't like doing absolutely terrible things that never occurred. Um, and there are motivated parties out there who just want to sow discord and distrust and we'll flood social media with this absolute trash. Well, and as you said, if you, as long as we persist in, in looking only into our own echo chambers and don't question any of that or look at alternative media to say, 
How come the only place I'm hearing President Biden say these things is on this site and it's not getting reported anywhere else? Maybe that's an issue. Another area that's come up that you and I have talked about are are hoaxes where uh, uh, family members will get calls supposedly from a loved one saying, I'm being held hostage, I need $10,000. Yeah. And uh, not true. I hate to say it, but if you have a a child or a grandchild who uh, has a podcast, I'd be a little worried about getting a phone call that sounds very much like them. Um, It's going to be FaceTime only here for a little while, folks. there was a there was some congressional testimony about just that uh, a, a man got a phone call from his quote unquote son and it was an AI spoofed voice and said I need you to bring money to this person uh, I'm in jail and they're my lawyer and they'll take care of the bail and the guy happened to be a lawyer but he he was sort of sounding the alarm of you know if you can't even trust a phone call from your own children like what are we doing about this. Like, oh. We need to do something. One of these examples I heard, the, the person who was getting called, their son was sitting right next to him yeah. on the couch. He was Lord. like, I, that, something's wrong here. Yeah. You're, you're not in two places at once. Are you in jail right now? <laughs> no? Okay. Well, let me, let me uh, play the two examples that Matt recorded and presented to, uh, to his class. Uh, he put, uh, used ChatGPT to generate a news story, did some light editing on it, and then had the real me record it. And then had AI Rick record it. Take a listen to both of these and see what you think. A high-speed chase ended safely on Interstate 80 this afternoon when Nebraska State Patrol troopers apprehended a juvenile following a pursuit. At around 4.45 p.m., a trooper spotted a stolen pickup speeding eastbound near mile marker 211. After initially stopping, the driver, a 17-year-old from Hastings, fled from authorities, prompting a chase. With speeds reaching 97 miles per hour, law enforcement deployed stop sticks in Dawson County, which slowed but didn't stop the stolen vehicle. The pursuit continued until near mile marker 262, where a second deployment of stop sticks brought the vehicle to a halt. The teen was arrested without further incident and now faces charges including flight to avoid arrest, willful reckless driving, and theft. For KRNU, I'm Rick Alloway. A high-speed chase ended safely on Interstate 80 this afternoon when Nebraska State Patrol troopers apprehended a juvenile following a pursuit. At around 4.45 p.m., a trooper spotted a stolen pickup speeding eastbound near mile marker 211. After initially stopping, the driver, a 17-year-old from Hastings, fled from authorities, prompting a chase. With speeds reaching 97 miles per hour, law enforcement deployed stop sticks in Dawson County, which slowed but didn't stop the stolen vehicle. The pursuit continued until near mile marker 262, where a second deployment of stop sticks brought the vehicle to a halt. The teen was arrested without further incident and now faces charges, including flight to avoid arrest, willful reckless driving, and theft. For KRNU, I'm Rick Alloway. So now that you've heard those, which one do you think was the real me? If you chose item number one, that's correct. That was me. Item number two was AI-generated me. And I've in talking to some of the students who were fooled, a couple of them said, actually more than a couple said, what fooled them was the breath pauses. Yeah. That they said a, a computer wouldn't generate breath pauses, but, and but yours does. It absolutely does. If you listen carefully to the AI version, you'll hear the AI voice breathe when you would expect them to breathe in the course of a sentence. And a bunch of people said, AI doesn't breathe. And it's like, oh, (laughs) I hate to tell you, they do. Um, They, uh, several of them thought that the sort of less less inflection, the the AI version has a a bit less inflection, a bit bit less style. They thought that would be you because you were just sort of reading it. I'm like, this man's a professional. Like <laughs> he put his ankles into this. Like he actually, he actually did this for real. Um, and we were talking about how you, you have learned over the course of your career, how to control your breath. So you don't hear breath noises. And then if you do, you go back in and duck the audio out of those. So, so it removes it. And that threw people off entirely. 
Well, it even allows you to build in a stumble now and then, which you played for me, which was really mind-blowing. We didn't build that in. It just made it. If you listen to the very beginning of the AI news story, it pauses. It's almost like you're coming off, like you're, you've got a script and you're reading news stories of the day. And this is like the third one in the rundown because it starts with like a high-speed pursuit. It's a, uh, to begin it. We did not program that in there. The AI made it. We made another version where in the middle of a sentence, the AI version of you stumbled over a word, caught it, and went back to it. And it's like, oh, wow. There was one where you ummed. You're just like, um, on mile marker 32. And it's like, oh, my wow 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 we didn't we didn't ask for it we didn't do anything we just sort of fiddled with the knobs a little bit where we were playing around with um you know could you could you create a little bit more instability could you create could we actually get you to do that sort of more you know up and down style of of inflection and um it just it was wild that it would do that. We we were floored. We're we're doing this in class, you know, and I'm I don't know what's gonna come out. And it starts playing it, and then the AI version of you goes um, and the whole room just like grabbed furniture. They're like, oh, wow, it just did that, and yeah, it sure did. So we've touched on this a little bit throughout the course of the program, but I want to close by saying for anybody listening to this, going, I I'm. I'm just completely at sea. I have no idea how to deal with this. What are some of the best practices that in the course of building your course and reading the myriad of articles I know you've poured over to put to put your heart and soul into this this semester, what are you hearing? What are you reading? What are you discovering on your own that are best practices for dealing in a world where it's becoming harder and harder to tell if it's real or if it's Memorex? Oh, um, I don't know if I have a lot of really good answers because I don't know if there's a lot of good answers that have come out just yet. Um, There's, there's sort of some things that we've talked about in the class that, um, that are, you know, are just sort of timeless bits of advice, like extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, And honestly, I think there's some element of this is going to drive people back toward brands and outlets that they can trust. It's not a perfect system, but you do know that the New York Times is human beings, flawed as they are, doing the work that they do, and they will make mistakes, but you at least know it's not a computer generating it. Would you have thought the same thing of Sports Illustrated? I wasn't surprised by Sports Illustrated, to be honest with you, because they've been bought and sold so many times, and they they have a very weird structure where they're, the property itself is owned by a hedge fund, but the publishing rights are owned by a different company that goes around buying up publishing rights. And there's a there's a, a there's a history there of of that property essentially drafting off of its off of its stellar name from the you know the 80s and 90s. So I wasn't totally surprised by that, but you know, your local newspaper, your local, uh, you know, if you live in a small community, you, you have the opportunity where you could go downtown and knock on the door and meet the human being that's doing this stuff. Um, there is some of me, some of me that thinks that there's going to be sort of a reversion to that a little bit that, you know, just any old thing that comes across the internet, mm, I don't know if I'd be buying that now. Um, the, the sort of implosion of the slow motion implosion of Twitter that's going on right now, or X or whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of voices on there that you just cannot trust at all. And, and where Twitter used to be a useful platform for news discovery, I think that has, that ship sailed, which in a way will actually do a lot of good. Um, I'm going to say increased skepticism is yeah, not a bad thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not upset by that at all. But I, I think the, the memo on, hey, folks, you need to turn the knob of skepticism way up. And if you're seeing an image in one place that you have not seen anywhere else, I would, I would red flag that. If you're seeing a headline reporting news from one place that you've not seen anywhere else and no one's been able to independently verify, I would let that go. I would just not 
don't hit that retweet button. Don't hit the share button. Don't do nothing with it. Just let it be. But that harkens back to something I know you start talking about in 101, and we touch on in almost every course here, which is don't single source anything. Yeah, and we've never, never believed that. And yeah. that goes back to the famous Helen Thomas quote about if your mother says she loves you, you check it out. Yep. You, know, you just don't trust anything to one source. Was it Reagan that said trust but verify? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the same. These are These are... There's a there's an irony to the idea that a lot of these AI uh, ideas have been floating around for 40, 50 plus years, and it's only now that we've sort of been able to put the computing at it. You know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. It's been around a lot longer than that. Um, you know, check things out. Increase your skepticism. Uh, don't single source things. These are centuries old ideas uh, that never go out of fashion, they seem. Um I would just be aware that there are people who are trafficking in uh, manipulated images that are generating images. The, the, the conflict in Gaza right now has just been a fountain of, of misinformation, of AI-generated images, of uh, people recycling video from Syria from 10 years ago and, or 8 years ago and, and calling it current footage, and it's not. Uh, there's even been footage from Ukraine said, "Oh, this is in, this is in uh, you know this is in Gaza right now." It's like, "Oh, really? There's there's that kind of vegetation in in Gaza? You really think so?" Um, Ukrainian flag there in the yeah, background. Exactly. Yeah, some of it is not even they're trying that no, hard. They're not. Um, and so I would be deeply skeptical of that. And the closer we get to the presidential election, I would just be skeptical of all heck of anything you see on social media. Um, and anything that doesn't come from places that are really doing the work of verifying and double checking and, and interviewing sources and, and things like that. Well, you said something critical a couple of minutes ago too that I want to reiterate on, which was slow down before you hit the re, the repost or the like button. It's just, just life advice, just, man. Yeah, slowing down in general <laughs> yeah. is, is because I think we all get to our moral outrage cranked up and go, heck yes, I'm going to like this and just grab your hand and say, hang on a second. Yeah. Is this, is this accurate? Yeah. The world will turn if you don't like and retweet. Right. Like give it a second, uh, read past the headline, maybe get a second source on that before you really, you know, want to get hopped up about it. Um, know who you're, know who you're retweeting before you do it. Um, don't trust strangers on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can trust the folks we have on this radio program, however. I will tell you that it's been a delight to spend some time talking with Matt Waite this morning about uh, all of the things that are going on with uh, the AI world. And uh, I know you've had a good time teaching the class. I suspect the students have learned a lot and had a blast. We have had a ball. Well, we'll check back. We'll get an update from you here and down the road because I'm sure things will continue to change. Changes every day. Doesn't it? Our thanks to Matt Wade for taking time to join us this morning, and my thanks to you for joining us as well. I'm Rick Alloway. This has been Campus Voices, and as always, I thank you for your time this Sunday morning. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.